My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Does the idea of dating a sexologist intimidate you or maybe excite you, make you a little nervous? What about dating a former erotic dancer or stripper or someone who has recently undergone breast cancer treatment? We all bring full lives and experiences to dating and relationships. And given the accessibility of information on just about everyone we can stock, I mean, find online, it's easy to have some preconceived ideas. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today we are going to gab about this and a whole lot more with an amazing sexologist I have been wanting to have in the studio for some time. Before we dive in, a quick reminder to visit augustmclaughlin.com and sign up for email updates. I send news and extras about once a month, often with personal thoughts or stories I don't share anywhere else. Very unfiltered, some people will tell you. I hope you'll also connect with me on the Girl Boner community online. That's uh, at August McLaughlin on Instagram and Twitter and facebook.com forward slash mygirlboner on Facebook. Dr. Megan Stubbs is joining me today. She is an amazing sexuality expert, educator, speaker with degrees in human sexuality and biology and brings so much fun and joy to these conversations. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really curious about your own roots. How did you get, first of all, what did you learn about sexuality and kind of your body when you were growing up? It was always, you know, a fun discussion to have with mom. But then I think I get, got to an age where I asked too many questions and she was like, just let's go to the bookstore. So I just had this like, you know, insatiable curiosity about sexuality and changing bodies. So I would be that girl in the back, you know, looking at all the sex relationship books. But also, you know, if someone walked by, I'd be like, oh, no, no exercise, exercise, because they're often, you know, put together. <laughs> so just, you know, through books, I learned about puberty. And of course, the puberty happened. And I was like, oh, my God, all these amazing things are happening. And then I became the go to friend <laughs> amongst my like peers of like, you know, what's going on? What's happening? What's blowjobbing? And I'd be like, well, guys, let me tell you. <laughs> I wish I knew you then. Do you know who I asked what a blowjob was? Who would you ask? A band director. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That didn't go very well. Uh, you switched I, to choir soon after, right? You know what? I did. Actually. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I was in both, but then I focused on choir. Yeah. So good call. You you know your stuff big time. <laughs> I love that you talked about puberty in a positive way. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone ever has in my conversations. Like, amazing things. Yeah. So... Did you have a positive experience with those changes or was it kind of you're fascinated and it was also challenging? I definitely think it was less scary because I knew what to expect. It wasn't like I was just, you know, riding my bike one day, you know, la 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 and suddenly like, oh my God, my periods are like, what's happening? I'm bleeding from between my legs. I knew, okay, oh, period. All right, great. To say periods are awesome, you know, of course, that was like a damper being a fifth grader with a period. So, you know, wearing the big bulky pads and being like, oh, no, yeah. this is uncomfortable. But at least I knew what was going on, like, 
okay, this is my new reality. <laughs> so you didn't have that. So many people tell me that they thought they had cancer or, you right. know, you didn't and have the sudden shock. Why would you not want to set up your child, you know, someone you care for that, hey, this is going to happen to you. And so like, you know, on the flip side, so young men, you know, what dreams? I don't know what happened in their lives because I'm not a guy, but, you know, that must be terrifying for them. Yeah, yeah. So knowing as much as you did then, did you not have or need a sex talk? Did you give the sex talk to your parents? No, I just think it was kind of like a quiet understanding that, you know, she's got 90 books on this. She's she's well versed in this. It never really came up like at dinner, like, well, mom, did you know that I'm well aware of penetration and how babies are made now? <laughs> and it sounds like they were supportive of it, which is cool. Yeah, I've always had a big affinity for books growing up. So, I mean, just, you know, scouring knowledge anywhere. Amazing. So at what point did you decide officially that you wanted to become a sexologist, a sex therapist or a a sex educator. The journey, you know, is rarely a straight path into a career. And so as I grew, grew older, I was really excelling in sciences. I did super well in science in high school. I was like, okay, I'm great at biology. What should I do? Undergrad, pre-med emphasis started going great. Could do chemistry. And I was failing chemistry class after chemistry class. And I lost my scholarships. And I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? Like, I just got to get out of here. So it was the wrong kind of chemistry. Oh, my God. It's, I, don't, I don't know. Chemistry is not for me. <laughs> So I was like, I just want to get out of here alive with a general biology degree and figure it out later. Just, I don't know, work for the DNR or something. I'll be, you know, trout patrolling on the rivers or something. <laughs> so <laughs> That is so Midwestern, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're both from the Midwest, so I feel you. Yeah, on the rivers. Hey, how long is that fish? Uh, it's long enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, all the while I'd still been reading books. And so by then it was like, you know, YM and Teen Magazine and uh, Cosmo. And I just remember reading one day the word sexologist and like, consciously seeing it and saying, wait, is that a real thing? So like I Googled on my dial up and I was like, sexologist. And it's like, that's a real job. And I was like, I might be onto something. So then I did some more digging and I found one of the few graduate schools in the country at the time to grant graduate degrees in human sexuality. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go do that. So then I fast forward, got my doctorate in human sexuality. And so now I can combine two of my favorite things, science and sex into a cohesive platform to impact my audience. Beautiful. <laughs> I love that so much. It sounds very meant to be. We have a question from a listener that I think you'll be able to shed some light on. Sure. Uh, we received this from Anne. And Anne worked as an erotic dancer for years and wrote this. A lot of people in my area are aware of my career, my past career. The last few guys I've dated have expected me to dance and perform for them, which makes me really uncomfortable. I'm not ashamed of the work I did at all, but I want to get to know someone who wants to know me for who I am. How can I tell if they're dating me because they're interested in me versus because of my previous career? I've been considering going by a different name on dating sites, but that feels dishonest. Thank you, and and thank you for this question. I feel like a lot of people can can relate to kind of that whole how open dual life, and, dual yeah, world, yeah, dual world for sure. And our resident uh, sex and relationship expert, Dr. Megan Fleming from New York City, is going to share a few thoughts here, and then I'd love to hear what you have to say, Megan. Of course. And thanks so much for this question. And I really appreciate your asking it. Um, you know, it's interesting as I read it, it reminded me of a colleague of mine who um, got divorced and she was sort of sharing and lamenting to me that, you know, in this day of everybody's Googling and sort of, 
you know, looking at social media to sort of identify who people are and what their history is before going on a date. You know, in her case, she's a sex therapist. So just like you, all of a sudden she's wondering about what are the motives, right, of these potential uh, men that she's seen. And she equally found that sometimes it felt as if they were interested in her because of um, her work, right, that she's a sex therapist versus really being curious and interested in getting to know her as a person. And so, you know, I think it's a reality that we have to face sort of today that um, before we even meet someone, they can get our name and really find out a lot about ourselves. But that ultimately, you know, there, there's the difference between privacy and secrecy. And um, that I think, you know, before you really get to know someone, uh, you know, we should all respect each other's privacy. And, you know, although I hear you say it feels or would feel disingenuous if you used another name, I guess there's a part of me that says, you know what, well, what if you say your middle name, right? That um, you're just sort of creating a bit of space to have the opportunity to get to know someone before they have filled in blanks about you um, without even getting the opportunity to know you. Um, you know, it, again, is going to feel out of left field when I say this, but, you know, I also often worked with breast cancer um, survivors and anybody who has any uh, chronic medical illness or uh, history of cancer, you know, it's equally a sensitive topic. You know, when is the right time to disclose? Because you don't want to feel withholding. And at the same time, you kind of recognize until there's a connection and intimacy, you know, if you give certain information in this context, um, you know, having a cancer diagnosis, you know, the, the concern or fear is that somebody's going to, you know, run away or not even get interested in getting to know you. So, I guess I'm giving these other examples as a way of saying that it's complex and there is no gold standard here. Um, I think you have to sort of honor your own experience, your own intuition. And I personally do believe that um, if your experience is, especially in a smaller town or community, you know, based on the work that you've done, people are sort of, you know, you know, lumping you or categorizing you that that's really not, that's a disservice, right? It's a disservice to you and ultimately to them. So, you know, from my perspective, using a middle name or, um, is, is sort of a way and an opportunity to create the op, you know, sort of the anonymity so that you have that opportunity to, for someone to meet you and for you to get to know them in person and when it feels right. And at the right time, then you can disclose the fact that you used to um, do this work. So listen, I absolutely hear you. There's no shame in it. But that being said, you don't want to be judged and people jump into conclusions because of what you've, you know, because of the work that you've done. So I hope this helps, but my biggest takeaway is trust your gut, trust your intuition. I think it makes complete sense that we should all have a sense of privacy before we get to know anybody um, and they jump to conclusions about us. So in my mind, using a middle name or a different name is not being disingenuous. It's just giving you the opportunity to truly get to know someone. And then when the timing feels right, then you can share um, anything that you feel is pertinent and helpful for them to know. So hope this helps. And as always, love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Everyone, you can learn more about her work at greatlifegreatsex.com. Dr. Megan Stubbs, <laughs> I'm curious both what you might 
say to Anne and also what your own experience has been, because I know it can complicate things to oh, work for sure. in the sex field and, and to date. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, for me, I call it deep creeping. That's what we do on online dating. We, you know, see someone we like. And if they've attached a social media handle to that, you know, we're looking at that. And then we're going from there to LinkedIn to, you know, it's just a whole rabbit hole you fall down because you want to know about this person because it's so difficult to say he looks nice in this photo. Who is he really in real life? So I definitely understand the deep creeping aspect. And someone who has a non-traditional career, it's not like, you know, oh, I'm a teacher, I'm a dentist, uh, I'm in the sex industry. (laughs) That's always like a, you know, either you're impressed, amazed, scared. There's always some reaction to it. It's not like, oh, my aunt was a, you know, dentist too. It's it's not the same. So there's definitely a level of, you know, you want to have privacy and it doesn't have to be secrecy. So for me personally, I definitely have the privacy thing going on. So in the public eye, I'm like Dr. Megan Stubbs. Those are not my private social media handles. You know, I have a whole secret life that I keep to myself before I want to let someone in because there's definitely exploitative people out there who will be with you just because you're some sex expert. You're going to like, you know, be on the chandelier with like dripping wax and candles and stuff. And it's like, whoa, relax, man. This is day number one. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense. It's funny, too, because when I first read this question, I was thinking because I, I tend to steer on the side just naturally of over sharing Mm -hmm. and I so I thought, well, I wouldn't I would have to not lie about things. And then I thought, I totally have. Yeah. I completely have. Mm-hmm. Like uh when I was um when I I worked as a model after high school and was back in Minnesota and was online dating um and I put a picture of me with like curlers. It was like a really terrible picture and I didn't say what my career was partly because I felt like that would set this sort of standard. People would be expecting me to be this glamorous person. And I felt like Anne Hathaway on Devil Wears Prada. So Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, you just want people to really meet you for you. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So what are some of the maybe less less happy experiences you had with that? (laughs) What, What do people say to you that Maybe we can send a little PSA out. Like, yeah, don't so do this. You know. um, <laughs> it actually took a guy to say, like, on a date, I didn't tell him who I was or what I did, but I, he knew my full name. And he was like, what's up, Dr. Sex? And I was like, what kind of greeting is that? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I Googled you. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, people are, go- this is before I was deep creeping, but <laughs> people are Googling? Oh, no. So that was like the, you know, catalyst that set me on this path of like, okay, be really mindful of what you put out. You know, you can say, I'm into yoga, I like gardening, I like dogs. You can say all these things without saying, you know, I have this job or I have bad credit or mental illness. You don't need to dump all that on the first date or the first, like, you know, couple interactions you're having with someone because you want to get to know the person. Yeah. I mean, you're so much more than your career. And, like, that's what the difficult thing is when you have this, like, unique career that's, like, you know, not conventional. It kind of overshadows who you are. So you're not – I'm not just the sex – you know, sexologist, sex expert, 24-7. I'm also a really funny reader. I like to cook. You know, I'm into gardening. I like to travel. I, you know, I do all these things, too. So it's not just I'm going to be crazy sex all the time. Like, you know, you want to go on the Mile High Club? Great. You know, just all these weird things people have said to me and, you know, attempted with me. And I'm like, oh, my God, no, get out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, And the initial 
chemistry that you have with a person and the emotional connection that has nothing to do with those details right. probably won't be there with somebody who shows up and is like, hey, Dr. Six, let's, yeah. let's go have sex right now. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's interesting. Does it change when you are, for example, interacting with people online versus you're meeting people out in public? Do you tell people what your career is? Like say you met someone at a, a club. Um, actually, I never tell people what I do. <laughs> it's always my lovely friends who I love dearly who out me because I'm like, it's like the person who's like, oh, my God, meet my friend Jenny. She can tie a cherry stem in a knot with her tongue. And everyone's like, oh, Jenny, show me. I'm the like, my friend's a sex expert. Ask her all your questions. And I'm like, oh, my God, thanks, guys. I just want to enjoy this bachelorette party like, you know, Aww. as a civilian. Because they're so proud of you, but they don't realize that that's like yeah. putting you on the spot in the spotlight and like making you work. Right. Well, <laughs> like, it's like, you know, my oh, this is my friend a dentist. I would never be like, oh my God, you're a dentist? Check out this tooth. What do you think about this? You know, and we're at like a bar or something. Yeah. Come on, there's a time and place. So, I, I mean, I never out myself. I have yeah. friends who do that. And I'm like, guys, don't. <laughs> Please so don't. So how would you navigate when you do reveal more? Like, is there sort of, do you just sort of feel it out? And like, maybe you're on like a third date and it feels right or... Yeah, it's really case to case. And I mean... I I do deep creep my potential partners because I don't know. <laughs> I'm more thorough because I'm also a woman and I'm like, really, what's, you know, what kind of skeleton are they going to have? So I know more about them than they probably think. But I let I really like, feel it out and I say, OK, is this person being genuine? Is this does this have potential to go long term? Because as I do more media work and get more exposure, like. I don't want to be like, I'm going to be a celebrity, but I'm getting out there more in the public eye. And so the more public you are, the more scrutiny you open yourself up to. So I'm like really mindful, like, OK, what is this person cool? Are they going to you know do some really like bad stuff if I send them photos and, you know, sexting? I just can see a whole me going crazy, whole snowball effect of bad things happening from one bad partner choice. So I'm very mindful of who I'm letting in and like what I tell them and when. So when somebody asks you flat out, because I feel like that's one of the questions that we're sort of socialized to ask, like right away. What do you do? Do you have kids? Like those are the two questions yeah. I feel like we get most often. What do you say when someone says, hey, what do you do, whether on a date or in public? I honestly say I'm an artist. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I know it's true. And that's such a, I mean, that's a way better vanilla yeah. career than saying I'm a sexologist. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a great tip for Anne as well. Yeah. You know, if she talks about her previous careers, artist, artistry, performance, creative expression. Yeah. Because there's so many different kinds, right? Like mm -hmm. sometimes I say I'm a writer and sometimes I say I'm a sex writer, but if I, if I say I'm a writer and they ask questions and it doesn't feel like the right place to say yeah. what I write about, I just ask them a question. Yeah. You don't have to. Something a therapist told me years ago that always stuck with me was just because someone asks you a question doesn't mean you're obligated to answer it. Right. And that's true. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, where you live. Someone could say, uh, 53rd Chestnut Street. You could just say, oh, you know, the northeast side of town. Completely. And those are safety measures as well. Oh, for sure, yeah. And so is a little bit of creepy, what do you call it? The deep creep. Deep creep. I love that term. <laughs> the deep creep. Because it is. You get deeper and deeper. Yeah. And it does feel a little creepy if you go too deep. Like, you start feeling a well, little... it's ah. creepy when you end up, like, you know, on their ex-girlfriend's sister's boyfriend's page, and then you end up double tapping something, and then you're like, oh my god, how do I undo that? Can I undo that? I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've had people send me friend requests, and we have mutual friends, and so then I'm like, oh, okay. And then it turns out they're trying to ask questions about the person that they might be dating. Yeah. It's so funny because we do. We have all this access. And I think, too, as women, we are more concerned about 
safety and oh for sure yeah it should be mm-hmm. I, I mean I don't check into places unless I'm like getting ready to leave and like all these things which are it's like you know when you're walking in a parking lot make sure your keys are in between your fingers it's things we shouldn't have to do but regardless of what we want to do or we shouldn't have to do that's the environment we live in so unfortunately we can't like check in and say we're here at you know TGI Fridays on sunset or something and people are going to be like they're at sunset let's go get them right now because people are deep creepers too and they're going to use that power for bad or for you know to meet their own means or meet their own ends yeah exactly and I think it's it's not about living in fear but it's about just feeling strong enough in I'm taking care of myself right and why you know it's never our fault if something bad happens Um, but I do think that there's a lot of value like I took a self-defense class recently Mm -hmm. it's so empowering and it's not about let's let's teach women to be violent it's not that oh man who says that even 2017 like I know know. people (laughs) replied some people did not people I know but when I shared on my blog about the class a few people commented along that line and I just thought you know it's not that's not what it is yeah it's owning our own strength Mm -hmm. taking care of ourselves being able to prevent things yeah you know it's it's really great and and the gift of fear I always recommend a great book just to have this skill set and then you feel so much safer and freer to be yourself right and, and all that so can you tell us about a good experience when you've shared your career or maybe somebody that you met who had no idea what you did and it ended up going well um, I found that when I date older men, they're much more open or like less reactive to me and my career choice. So it's my peer group and younger that are like exploitative. <laughs> and I hate to generalize, but like that's just been my experience. Those are I statements, just me. <laughs> but for them, for the older men, it's more like, a OK, cool, whatever. And I just feel like that they've seen a bunch, you know, they're usually divorced. It's nothing phases them and they're not going to be like. I don't know. They're more mature about it. Not so juvenile, like, you know, laugh at fart jokes and like, oh, man, you know, just really things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. And just being much more, even having more sexual experience. Yeah. Really makes a difference because you realize that it's a big benefit. I had a, an experience when I was being interviewed on a, a pretty popular radio show after I did this um, orgasm MRI experiment that mm-hmm. I was involved with. And the the host said... I would never let my wife do that. Yeah. You know? Ah, good one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's amazing to me that, but then somebody called in and was very much in support of a woman knowing her body. Yeah. And then the research behind that, because so often people will say, well, this is true. And they're like, show me the study. And I'm like, really? Show me any study that's getting funding for like a sexual thing, orgasms or anything. And then add women? Ugh. Even less. Yeah. It's really hard to get those past yeah. to get, I mean, say you're doing it. You can't even put the word sex in a grant proposal in the U.S. I learned recently. Oh my God, that's the worst. Which is amazing because that means you can't get funding unless you use all these bizarre, you know, <laughs> Intimacy, yeah. satisfaction. Right. Uh, you yeah. Know, let's it's, get the thesaurus out. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd love to ask about the kinds of questions you get asked and I'd love to take a guess and tell me if I'm wrong okay. about your most common. Okay. Yes. Is it, am I normal? Yes. Far and wide, it's always some form of, am I normal? It might not just be flat out, am I normal? But it'll be, I like blank. Is that normal? Or I have this going on. Is that normal? And is the answer, wrong with me? yeah, the answer yeah. like 99% of the time is like, yes, you're totally normal. And 
that is just like a litmus test for me to say, okay, everyone has these concerns about general stuff, just like basic stuff. And it's like, why are they even questioning it? Because it is normal. They're not being taught that whatever they have going on is normal or a normal version of something. Yeah. Within that, do you find that there are certain themes or topics that have been coming up a lot lately that people want to know, is this particular thing normal? Yeah. So obviously I'm a woman, so I'm definitely like home team all the way. It's always, do I look normal? Do I smell normal? Do I taste normal? What's going on? I like this. Can I orgasm normally? And I'm always like, what does that mean? And that usually means, you know, with PV, no clitoral stimulation. And I'm like, oh my gosh, stop reading this old Freud stuff. Like, any way you can orgasm is normal. Like you don't have to necessarily have to be able to orgasm with all these different erogenous zones. These are just some people's experiences and you're your own person. So there's variation in life. I mean, with labia length and color and oh my, all these things, stretch marks, it's all normal. Yeah. I read a study recently that showed the number of cosmetic surgeries in young women and young people with vulvas have to change the appearance yeah. of their labia and, and not functional, completely cosmetic. Cosmetic. And it's so fascinating as somebody who I grew up without the internet and then a little bit with. So mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of, I know what the world is like without it, right? Yeah. And I also see that as we have more access, do you feel that it's because of, of porn, of more access to seeing these images where you know, these quote unquote perfect. Cause I'm always like, well, what are they trying to look like? Cause I don't even think there is like yeah. a norm, mm-hmm. right? Right. I think, I don't think porn's the problem. I think porn is like the canary in the coal mine because this is where people are looking and seeing sexuality, if anywhere. And what they're seeing is this, you know, semi consistency of like no hair, you know, very small labia and, you know, uniform color. They're seeing that constantly and that's being reinforced in their mind so if they have any kind of setup that differs from that it makes them think well this isn't beautiful desirable you know all of these implications and that's not even true because in reality there's a whole wide variety of different shapes colors you know textures everything but it's just not being shown in mainstream media or pornography and we're not seeing it in sex ed either absolutely not oh my god can you imagine (laughs) i mean i wish but like i know i do too like i and i when people ask me about teaching kids about sex. I I always use, you know, the term age appropriate sex ed from early on, Mm -hmm. but that varies so much from what like you may think and I may think to somebody who didn't have any access right, like, to age any appropriate. Material. Yeah, 16 will start. Right. No, that's not what we mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, three, <laughs> yeah. you know, whenever they have a question. Yeah, or teaching them proper parts. You know, my nose, my eyes, my breasts, my penis, not my nose, my eyes, my red rocket. Wait, so I thought, we, what happened? Are we naming like transportations now? I know, right? We don't do that with any other body no, part. No, I would like, never say my sniffer is bleeding. Like, right. oh, You mean your nose? Yeah, my sniffer. Yeah, yeah, there's all this shame around it. Yeah, for sure. Is there a particular age range that you think kids ideally would at least see different different vulvas with and without hair, you know, different penises, circumcised, uncircumcised? Like, is that, do you think that like puberty, before puberty, do you have any sense of what age is right for that? I think obviously if they grow up with siblings, you know, and they're taking like, you know, those cute bathtub photos and that gets so much like attention in media now because it's being flagged, like child pornography. And I'm just like, 
Oh, I, sometimes is it's, it really? It's, it's overwhelming because there's one this one photographer. She posts a photo of her husband holding their child in. I think it was a, a female child, a girl in the shower, like br- t- trying to break her fever. And so she's like, "This is such a beautiful moment." She posted it, and people sent the CPS after her, and like, "This is child pornography. This is abuse." And I was like, "Are you kidding me? This is a parent comforting their sick child." In the shower, and they took a picture of it. There's nothing sexual. Like, there's something wrong with you that if you're seeing sexuality in this. This is like care. Yeah. So at some point, there becomes I don't know. I mean, it's an arbitrary age where it's like inappropriate to see someone's nude form. What age is that? And then kids in the bathtub, brother and sister are fine up until when? Uh, you know. Yeah. So to back, circling back, sorry tangent. Uh, it's appropriate to see if it's siblings, you know, or if it's at a community pool. It shouldn't be like, don't look, don't look over here. It's just, okay, that's someone's penis. Definitely talk about privacy and autonomy, but there shouldn't be shame around, you know, seeing genitals. But then yeah. if, so I was an only child for 12 years, so I'm an only child. <laughs> I didn't grow up with other siblings or other kids around me, but I saw in books, obviously there were cartoons, but, you know, Young people's genitals and then how they change throughout puberty, you know, little hair coming in. Yes. And, you know, that's what I think we should be seeing. Yeah. And, and so this is cartoon form and like uh, it's perfectly normal. That book is great. I love that book. It's called per- It's Perfectly it's, Yeah, normal. that was my gateway drug into the sex world. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to check it out. Um, but it just, and it had just, you know, different variations of, you know, what genitals look like and what to expect, you know, with discharge and like things like that. And I was like, okay, this is good. But then as you get older, I would totally be okay with at least middle school age, seeing real depictions of human genitals. Not in a gratuitous, you know, porn style, but just saying, hey, these are different penises because flaccid can look completely different uh, than someone else's other flaccid penis. So if just seeing a lineup of that in the variation, maybe it's crooked, maybe it's really retracted, maybe you have foreskin, maybe you don't. And then labias, some have hair, some don't have hair, you know, asymmetrical uh, lip length and color, that would be so beneficial. I mean, I feel like now we're just starting to see books coming out that actually show real color depictions of genitals. And I think that's such a big tool we need to incre- or incorporate into sex education. And not until we're like 18 and then we get the whole debate. Of, is it porn? Is it art? Ugh. Absolutely. It's I education. Totally. Totally. I'm so with you there. On a related note, I know that you're a big advocate of body positivity, which I adore. Yes. <laughs> And I personally feel there's this big link between, you know, a lack of sexual empowerment or embracing your sexuality and and also body image issues. But I also feel that you can still have a really great sex life and not feel great about your body yet and and vice versa. Right. Kind of what are the the issues that you see most in your work around around sexuality that involves body image? A lot of it stems from, again, women, oh, home team, we're going to do better. It's, it'll be okay. I just think that women have a dissatisfaction of how they look in real life and they feel like they should look. So this is, you know, Snapchat filters or it's like different angles and people get upset with people posting so many selfies because they're so narcissistic. And I'm like, you know what? If someone likes to see the way they look and they want to post on social media, that's their thing. Leave them alone. Like, let them be. If they feel like this photo represents what they want to present, good for them. And, you know, stemming towards the sex side, I think a lot of women have trepidation about certain positions or letting someone go down on them or doing certain sexual acts if it might be too, you know, exposing. Uh, And 
that definitely takes time to work through. It's not like you're going to wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm body positive. I'm going to walk around topless and, you know, go march in parades. It's definitely a progression. And like you said, you know, you don't have to immediately be like, I'm totally in love with 100% of this whole body. Let's go do whatever. It's definitely a process. I mean, I don't wake up every day like, yep, this is me. Woke up like this. I'm amazing. I definitely have my days where I'm like, you are gross. <laughs> you know, you look yeah, really rough. Yeah, I do. Um, do yeah. You know, and it's okay to have negative self-talk, but don't live there. You yeah. know, ad- not admit it. Address it. Say, okay, I acknowledge I'm feeling really crappy today. That's okay. But that's not my whole identity. Like, we can have bad days, but just, you know, make sure you limit the negative self-talk. Thank you for normalizing that because I do think we can even shame ourselves for not being good enough at embracing ourselves. Yeah. You know, like, we're like, oh, if I have any negative self-talk, then right. I'm... But the thing is, is it's natural to have self-doubt. Absolutely. To all these... and. When I experience it, one thing that I do that I find helpful is is reframing it as this is also something that so many people deal with. And when I don't give it power, when I don't listen to it and live by it and mm-hmm. base my value on it, as I did for many years, I think there's there's a tremendous opportunity to provide a better role model to other people, yeah. to fight those stereotypes. Like anger to me, once I finally was able to feel that at mm-hmm. the reasons that I would shun my my body and, and appearance was so powerful. And still I use that. Like it's a yeah. tool. And I think that can be that can be really amazing. And I love that you mentioned the selfie thing. Yeah. I was talking to a friend recently and she brought up something really poignant, I thought, that our culture seems more accepting of somebody who is quote unquote beautiful but doesn't know she is. Right. There's this game of like, no I'm not, you know, Take a compliment. It's okay to say, yeah, I am. Or if so, you're really pretty. Thanks. Oh, so you think you're really pretty? Like, it's like Mean girl stuff. Yeah, or, or cutting people off and being like, oh, you are. Like, almost like you turn it down. Yeah. You give them the gift back. Yeah. <laughs> like, you take it. Yeah. But that doesn't, I think sometimes we feel like we have to seem modest. I feel like that's what we've been grown up with in condition. You know, you should be pretty, seen and not heard, always like humble and, oh my gosh, wow, thank you. Or, no, I'm not. Like, did you see my snaggle tooth? Like, just... Anything we can pick out that would just like, yeah, deflect, to deflect the compliment, deflect the eyes and praise. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that in the Midwest? Because I know that Minnesota has, there's the term Minnesota nice that like it has a Wikipedia page. I have a t-shirt with it because, and it exists in a, it's one of those things that's not necessarily all good or all bad. It's sometimes it's too polite, you know, like dancing across the top of things without, which is why I was always like, why aren't we talking about girl boners? And no one would say anything to me about these things. Is that also something that you find regionally? Because I know you travel a lot. Have you found that it varies? You're from the Midwest. You're so nice. I'm like, dang it. I am tough. (laughs) You just think I'm nice. I totally know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You don't even know. This is my Starbucks face. Like (laughs) (laughs) my Starbucks face. I worked there for 11 years. And so there like you're so friendly and I was like if you only knew behind this smile (laughs) that is hysterical yeah yeah and do you find that uh also is as far as what you can talk about with sex and sexuality varies depending on the region or different populations um I definitely want to meet people where they're at I don't want to be too confronting if like it's not the culture of the campus or something uh I don't want to be putting forth information that they're not ready to be open to. So it'd be like, you know, saying an unsolicited dick pic. I don't want them to be like, whoa, where's this coming from? I thought we were going to talk about body image. Now you're pulling out, you know, 
easier techniques for anal sex. Like that's too much. <laughs> so definitely yeah. get meeting people where they're at and just, you know, being mindful of what they're asking me. Not what I think they should be knowing, but what they're asking me. Yeah. Because there's no shame in being where you're at either. Right. Yeah. You know, if you're, I always feel like it's important to know that whatever your value system is and questioning parts of your value system mm-hmm. always, like checking in. If you grew up really religious, for example, and there are parts of your value system that involve like not having sex before marriage, for example. Yeah. Is that something that if that is something that you want to maintain for your own reasons, great. Mm-hmm. And you can still have a beautiful sex life yeah. and all this stuff. But it's also important to check in with ourselves and be like, wait, is this something that it's bad because other people told me it is? Or do I actually really yeah, I just feel like I'm an information source and people can use that to make their own informed decisions because, I mean, when people say it should be abstinence-only sex education, no, it should be comprehensive. People can most definitely choose to be abstinent, but to not have this information would be a disservice to them. And it has been. We've seen it in the country. You know, we need to give them information and they can make their own decisions, but just be like, la, 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 I'm just going to do whatever I want. That that doesn't work. Yeah. And that's I feel like sexuality is the only thing that happens with. We don't, you know, teach cooking classes that are like, oh, just eat whatever you want. And you're, you know, you go out in the forest and pick these poisonous mushrooms and like, oh, no one told me you weren't supposed to pick mushrooms, though. Exactly. Only bad girls eat those mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we teach it and approach it so differently. And I know that you're not only about normalizing, but debunking myths. And there yeah. are so many around sexuality. What's one myth around masturbation that you find yourself really passionate about telling telling the truth that only like creepy lonely people do it like you have to be like you must be a big loser to not be able to get regular sex well uh, it is sex it's sex with myself and it's really great <laughs> that is so good yeah so, when, so i good. think it's really powerful when you can seek satisfaction with yourself that way you're not looking for it in maybe not the greatest places or you're putting value in things you do with a partner like this is real sex and like you know you have this shame around touching yourself when you feel like it should only be with someone else or only a certain way only pv sex why can't i orgasm normally what (laughs) yes so orgasming normally yeah obviously you you mentioned there's so many different ways to experience it different kinds of orgasms what are some of your top tips for really getting the gratification regardless of the specifics I just think don't see orgasm as a goal. It's like it's a great benefit, but it's also a journey because I think a lot of times we're taught sex should be quiet, in the dark, and fast. It's always fast. You know, mom and dad are going to come down the stairs really soon and we got to hurry up. But to really just slow slow things down and enjoy, you know, the touching. And I recommend people who aren't so into masturbation or just self-love and self-care to – it's from Nicole Daydone, her book Slow Sex, you know, make a nest – Take out time in your day to just touch yourself, touch your arm, touch your neck, touch the back of your knee, like just get in touch with your body and figure out what feels good, what kind of sensations. Just it's not just clitoris, clitoris, clitoris all the time and then orgasm, you know, explore what else works, what else feels good. And the more you get to know your body, the better able you are to communicate that to your partner and more comfortable you are on your skin. And just, oh, it's a whole host of benefits that come from just having this, you know, awareness of who you are and what feels good and the comfortable level of like conversation with your partner to be like, hey, I like this. What do you like? Yes. Yes. I love that so much. And I think that there are so many benefits of that pleasure and enjoying your body 
in any context, as you said, massaging your skin or putting on oil and really feeling how good your body feels also really impacts our body image. Yeah, I was absolutely going to say that ties into, you know, we some people think that you have to just look a certain way and that's when you get to have your desires met or when people say, I need to lose 40 pounds and then and I'm like, and then what? Then I'll take those photos with my family. Then I'll, you know, buy this bikini. I'll go on vacation. Then I'll be happy. Yeah. There's no number that's going to be like 125. Nailed it. Life is amazing. It's a whole journey. And like we said, it goes up and down. But like discovering your body and valuing it for what it is for you. It's the one thing that's taking you through life. All the goods, all the bads. Like you're able to walk or do certain things. Like that's your body. And that's your one home. So treat it well and it'll treat you well too and if it's in a place where you're not happy with you can definitely change it so it's always constantly changing always check in and say hey how am I doing yes yes and it's so relevant now I mean in Southern California obviously we can pretty much wear some kind of skivvies all year long (laughs) but in many areas the summer is incredibly challenging for a lot of people who feel self-conscious in a bathing suit. Mm -hmm. And I know you're really passionate about addressing that sort of preparing for quote unquote bikini season or having a bikini body. (laughs) I know, I know. What would you like to say to anyone who's in that place? Honestly, I didn't write this sentence, but if you have a body and there's a beach, you have a beach body. You're all set. We don't have to look a certain way or dress a certain way to go enjoy the beach or go be in the water or go be seen by people. And now that I'm in this space, like I feel like I'm hardcore about it. I'm really mindful. I listen on the beach. Like Lake Michigan is beautiful. We've got a gorgeous coastline and it's packed all the time with people, different body sizes and shapes. And it's hot. It's hot in the summer. And I'm always listening to hear either people blatantly say, ew, gross, what is she wearing? Or like, oh, gross, that guy's nasty. To even hearing the coded language of like, hey, you want some chips? Oh, no, I have to be good. Like, you know, bikini season. And it's like, that's so, little kids hear that. They pick up on that language of like, oh, I can't have chips either. Like, I want to be good and have a good body. I want to, you know, have a good shape and form. I don't want to be like, you know, that person down the beach that everyone's laughing and pointing at. And I think, like you said, about being a good role model is being mindful of that coded language we use, especially because you never know what little ears or even regular people are listening and saying, oh, yeah. Oh, no, I don't want any more chips. No, no, no brownies for me. Being good isn't what you eat. Being good is, oh, I'm going to be good. Yeah, pay your bill. Don't walk out on your tab. Like, that's being good and being bad. But food choices isn't a reflection of who you are as a person. So true. I really get perturbed when I hear people being what I call, like, the food police, you know, and and shunning. I see it even online. People will post a picture of a latte or something, Mm -hmm. and people are attacking it. Oh, all the sugar, all the this, all the that. And that is so negative and and hurtful. And it's interesting how people don't necessarily see how unkind that is. They would never walk up to somebody and say, well, some people would, but... You are such a, you know, horrible person. You're so ugly. You're so this. You're so that. But they will attack their food, which sends the exact same message. Mm -hmm. Like you're not valuable or you're not worthy because you're having something that in that person's mind is quote unquote unhealthy. And everything fits within a diet that supports vitality. Yeah, for sure. So it doesn't. And and I love that you mentioned other people, kids especially. Mm -hmm. They're sponges. They soak that stuff up. And I always feel like if you have those thoughts, they're hard to get away from, right, or to minimize, as you mentioned, 
but keep them in your head at least. And even doing that, I feel like brings awareness to how often you have them. Mm -hmm. And then like if you think of like you have a piggy bank of those thoughts and keep putting those thoughts in there, all that energy you could be putting into something so much yeah, better. Yeah, because what's the end game? They're, are they going to really be like, oh, guys, thank you so much for your compliment or your comments. I dumped it out. I had water. Like, eh, you know, what What are you going to really change with them in their lives? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What is your personal favorite self-care practice? I love cooking. That's my thing. I'm such a grandma. Like, <laughs> That's really sweet. When I'm stressed, if I'm not like hanging out with my dog, but most of the time he's in the kitchen anyway, so we're all hanging out together. I love cooking. I can get lost in the kitchen like forever. The kitchen is like close second to my bedroom is my favorite place in the house. What do you make? Everything. I have a big garden right now in the summer, so I'm cooking all kinds of fresh stuff. I've got this awesome spiralizer that I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I've been spiralizing everything. Zucchinis and apples and cucumbers and Spiralizing, carrots. like actually make it into a spiral? Yeah, so you ha- you put the, thi- the like zucchini on the machine and you turn this crank and it makes zoodles. So <gasps> everything's like... Just fun, fun and fresh and free because <laughs> it's from the garden. But oh, I love it. in the wintertime, I make soups and stews and I bake and I, just everything. Amazing. That's really cool. I admire that a lot. And it's so sensory and it's it sounds like it's therapeutic to you. Yeah, because, I mean, it's almost like sex. I mean, I'm not going to say like, oh, this food is better than sex because let's be real. I like sex a lot more than food. But <laughs> it's a really close second. But you're enjoying it with all the same senses. You're tasting, you're smelling, you're feeling, you're seeing, you know, the camera eats first on Instagram. You have to take a picture or let's, you know, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so true. That's so true. So I know you have... A lot of speaking engagements coming up and you're always looking to broaden your audience and meet new people. Tell us a bit about your speaking and how people can perhaps invite you to their campus or their organization. Yeah, I would love to come speak for your organization or college campus. Um, I just primarily speak on sex education and then body image. So right now, unfortunately, we still have a problem with sexual assault on campuses and it's it still needs addressing. It still needs work. And I definitely... I'm here to, you know, put in the work and help rectify the situation and make us campuses safer and just make people more aware of sexual boundaries and consent and just being a good sexual citizen. And I also talk about body image, too. I know not all campuses are ready for a sex educator to come on or maybe it's just not part of their maybe it's a religious campus and they're like, you know, no, no S words or anything like that. Then I offer body image stuff, too, because that's. I don't even have to use the word sex because this could be for someone who's, you know, abstaining from sex and just, you know, not even interested in that, but have some maybe hangups or shame around how they look or how they feel about themselves. So I'm here PG and then PG-13. <laughs> Which is great, too, because I think it introduces you to the audience. Yeah. And I find that a lot of people are more comfortable approaching you privately so they Mm -hmm. might hear you speak and maybe they could email you yeah for sure and I think part of my job at least for me in this space is I have to humanize myself because people say sex expert they have all these preconceived notions much like dating where they're like this girl just knows everything about everything I have to humanize and say listen when it comes to body image I have bad days I'm like you know ew gross yuck or like what are you doing like stop you know I don't know, just negative self-talk, the whole like, you know, avalanche of things that go on in my mind and just say, okay, I'm human. This happens to me too. And I'm like speaking on this topic. It's just a natural thing. So just helping them realize like, oh, she's just like us. She has, you know, good days and bad days too. Yeah. Just because I know a lot about it doesn't mean like I'm some like master expert where it's just like every day is, you know, sunshine, sunshine and orgasms all the time. Yeah, totally. I love that. I love that. I'm going to ask you a question that I actually 
sometimes I'm like, why, why do people ask me this? But I do think it's kind of an interesting topic. I don't think there is like one top tech sex tip, but I feel like it's an interesting thing that people ask that so often. Yeah. So when people ask you that, because I'm sure they do in an interview, mm-hmm. like, what is your top sex tip? Yeah. What is the one thing we can all do? What is that easy button I can press and be like, <laughs> boom, sex master? So what is it? Just kidding. Actually, <laughs> how do you reply to that? I just say, well, what are you looking at? Like, what are you struggling with or not struggling with? Or what do you have concerns with? Or what are you looking to, like, make better? Is it, you know, lasting longer? Is it orgasming a different way? Is it trying a new technique? But, I mean, in that instance, it's communication. Mm. It's talk to your partner. That's my number one sex tip. No one's a mind reader, at least that I've met in my life. <laughs> they don't know exactly what I'm, you know, into. They, they'll bring their past experiences from their past partners, but maybe my body doesn't work like their previous partner, you know. So there's always some, you know... There's always some benefit of being with people beforehand and then using those skills you use with them on your new partner. But your new partner is a new partner. It's a completely different, you know, game board if you want to use that analogy. So yes, you just go on to a new level and you're like, oh, I know some stuff, but let's figure out what's going on here. Yeah. And there's so many ways to communicate. It doesn't need to be like this. The whole I think we put so much pressure uh, pressure on having the talk. Yeah. And it should be, like you said, a conversation. Mm -hmm. And then also with, I focus on consent issues and everyone's like, yeah, enthusiastic consent. And I'm like, not all consent is going to be like, yes, yes, let's do that. (laughs) It could be, you know, it could be our third time hooking up and you say, hey, what do you think about butt play? And I'm like, um, you know, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe. Like, that sounds good. Let's try that. It's not me being like, yep, love it. I don't care. Let's just do it. Because not everything you've experienced before is going to be like, I'm curious about it. So, yeah. You're not going to be shouting from the rooftops like, yep, pal, let's do this. Yes. Thank you for saying that because I do feel like consent gets a really non-nuanced impression. Like it's it's this really enthusiastic yeah. or clear yes or no. And that to me would feel a little intimidating to be prepared to do. Like if what if you're in the middle of something and then someone brings something up, you don't stand up and be like, I mean, you do, obviously, if you're yeah, in danger. Right. Or, or or a big yes. Like, there's ways to use your body and to right. ask questions and all of that stuff. So that's really huge. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we could go on and on. I want to have you back. Thank you. For sure. I will definitely come back. And remind everyone where they can find you online. And I'm at Sexologist Megan and SexologistMegan.com beautiful. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and leave a simple review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.